Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is great for, for a number of reasons. Um, sometimes working in the movies and television, really good things can happen. And um, for 20 years, Dave and I have wanted to work with my guest today, Clancy Brown. And uh, why? Why, why? why have we wanted to? <laughs> We, I mean, you what, know, what twenty years ago gave you a hard on? I can't even imagine. I think you know. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and Clancy knows it's true because twenty years ago, in a bar at uh, the Sutton Place Hotel in Canada, we we tried very hard to get him to come aboard a picture of ours. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, yeah, sometimes uh, these things just don't work, I, I but then to. then they do. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, clearly, you know that our, I, although I don't on set, so Clancy's in Billions this season, and I won't give many spoilers. He plays the Attorney General of the United Spoiler. States. <laughs> well, that's been out. I mean, it's been put <laughs> okay, out. Right, I think they they enough. released it. Uh, so that's it. He plays the Attorney General of the United States. I'm not going to say um, much more about that now. But you know, as a, as kids, uh, the Highlander meant so much to us, oh, right, okay. and then Shawshank. So. Those things, and then and bad. We both saw Bad Boys as kids. You know, if you're my age, 51 years old, when you hear Bad Boys, the first thing you think of is not Will and Martin. Right, it's Sean's. it's you and Sean Penn yeah. and um, you say, yes, I'm Morales, right, right. because that and that was your big break. But that for us, you know, that was a, an R-rated movie we could go see on a Friday night when our friend let us sneak into the back of the theater. Right, you were like 15, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a. Uh, <laughs> No, that movie's a big deal to us. Your death in that movie's unbelievable. Well, do you, is it an actual death or you just? I, I don't know. I, you don't see me afterwards, so I don't know. I don't know if I die or if I, I can't remember. Or you just go right to the. Inf- there was some exposition. Maybe I went into the infirmary. So, someone today said on Twitter that that your demise in that movie is like the greatest nerd revenge. <laughs> yes, it is totally a nerd revenge of all time. It's awesome. If people don't know that movie, find it. It's actually an excellent. I, do you like it? Can I you, do, I do. I think Rosenthal did a great job directing it, and I think you know Sean's, you know that period of Sean is just so good. Yeah, and he, I mean he's always so good. But, no, so know, convincing. Every... There's this early Sean where he's really great, and then there's this middle Sean where he's not so great, and then there's this later Sean where he's just sublime. Right? Yeah, no, I agree. You the guy's I mean? just as good as you can be yeah. at the uh, at at acting. So you know the premise of the show originally, Clancy, when I started it, was a lifelong fascination I've had with moments when things change for people with these inflection points with and the thing i would always use to describe it was i've always been curious about what it was like the first time the four guys in rem plugged their instruments in and played right did they look at each other and know in some way everything's about to change and so i just want to start with you on the rooftop in shawshank redemption for one second okay when hadley's up there and gives the beers to the guys you know almost throws uh, Andy off the roof and then says, you know, drink up, ladies. Did you have any sense that you were a part, that this was a part of cinema history? Did you feel that at all? No. No, we all love the script. Everybody loved the script. Everybody that read it loved the script. Even people that didn't read the script loved the script. Um, Morgan tells a hilarious story where, where he's, he's, uh, his agent is sending him in and trying to convince him to use a black guy for red and and uh, and uh, in the same conversation, he tells uh, tells uh, Frank or whoever to, if you're going to consider Morgan, we want you to consider uh, Julia Roberts for Rita Hayworth. That's right. hilarious. <laughs> right. That's great. And and Morgan tells the story with great sadness. Right. About I'm Hollywood. laughing my ass off, and he's just he's just devastated by that story <laughs> that's a fantastic <laughs> hollywood story yeah yeah as the agent was explaining why it made right. sense to change and how 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 he really understood the thing deeper than even frank did yeah. and <laughs> honestly if you don't know why that's funny please go watch the movie go watch the movie uh, but no we didn't but, know that we didn't know that and you know the night before you went as i'm throwing um uh trying to throw Tim off the roof. I'm. I'm actually the next day. I'm hopping on a plane to go to Chicago to get married. So I'm not thinking about anything except getting th- through the day so I can make my flight. Was that your last day on the show? No, no. It was just a, I negotiated that weekend to go get married and then brought my bride down to finish out the show. And so uh, this is amazing. I mean, this is an incredible yeah. backstory because actually, you know, the key moment in that is when he says, "Do you trust your wife?" Right, right, right. 
And but for for you, it didn't have sort of resonance to all that no, stuff. No, well, not certainly not while we're doing it. I mean, we you know you you saw who's in that movie. There's a lot of faces in that movie. A lot of old pros. A lot of guys. And we've all we've all fallen in love with scripts, and we've all you know done our best and everything. And so nobody really had any expectation for it. We knew it was good. We knew Deacons was great. We knew we knew we had the A team. And but you know Frank was kind of an unknown. Yeah, he was new, he was new. He made the one short, right? Yeah, he made the one. Uh, yeah, made the one short, which I never saw. Uh, but he you know he'd been around for a while as a writer and a great writer. Oh my God, what a good writer he is. But um, so there was no real expectation that it would that it would do anything. I don't think. I mean, you know, I'm sure Tim wanted it to do something, and Morgan and everybody had some. But but to you personally, it was it. It felt like I mean I want you know they say about golfers that like the best golfers on a Sunday are able to treat it just like a, a normal right. Monday right. at the club, but so for you you weren't treating it as anything special or different. You were just trying to do your best to do your job. Well, I couldn't believe I was doing it. I mean, when we got on the plane to fly to Mansfield, you know, you, I see all these guys getting on the plane, and I'm like, holy shit, that that's that guy, man, that guy. What a, there's got to be some mistake because that guy's probably better for Hadley than me. And I'm, <laughs> You know, there's David Provolone, there's, you know, and this, you know, I'm convinced that I'm, that I'm going to get there, and they're going to say, oh no, 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 you're playing, you know, guard three. Yeah, <laughs> it's know? funny. I I definitely know that I have the sense. Well, the flip is, it had to feel different than when you're standing on a set and you know the thing's a fucking train wreck, though. I never know it's a train wreck. I mean, sometimes I know it's a train wreck, but not. But then everybody knows it's a train wreck. If everybody's just doing their gig. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You you know you don't know what's going to happen after after you wrap shooting. You mean because of how much you have to leave up to guys like us to yeah, go you edit have to it, leave it, put it guys together. Like you, the studio, whatever you know, whoever messes up. I did a pilot some years ago that I thought was brilliant, and by the time the network got through with it, it was it was just nothing. You know, it's a horrible thing that happens more in television than anything else. But. Yeah, that's true. No, I find I know I've known a couple of times I've been standing on set in the middle of a thing. Often Something when you I'm just wrote? no, often when I'm just called in as a re, as a oh, rewriter, oh, yeah, yeah. and well, that's back a, when I would that's do a more tip of that. Right there, isn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, you, know. you mean after hiring me and Dave, they're really in fucking trouble. <laughs> no, but well, once on a movie that we wrote from soup to nuts, I just knew the whole setup was wrong and bad. But no, like uh, where we're called to rewrite it, we're standing on some island, and we just see the pieces as they're arrayed on the board and we just know, oh fuck. This Everyone's... wasn't Moreau, was it? it? No, I'll tell you another time. <laughs> I'll tell you as soon as this. that's a story, that island of Dr. Moreau. Oh yeah, amazing. Oh my God. Oh, those two guys. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> Crazy. But you weren't, a, I mean, you weren't a part of that. No, I wasn't, um, but I knew guys. When you saw Shawshank, did you not like have, uh, so you're doing it and you're just yeah. doing your thing and you know these guys are all great, but you don't have a sense when you shot that scene. Did you know you'd done good work when you got on the plane to go get married? Did you know, oh, we put a good scene down yeah i mean i, I yeah i m mostly i knew everybody else did good work right because you sit there and you watch morgan and and you sit there and you watch tim and and the, whatever politics are going on and everything and you, you get rid of all that but you you don't appreciate how beautiful that that show was because because deacons was so great well, he's one of the great cinematographers who ever lived cinematographers of all time but he was he was that was uh, that's a that's a master class that movie and that considering actually he had kind of nothing to work with in the jail but everything but nothing right yes um so yeah we we, we all knew it was good enough we all knew we were doing the script because the script didn't change too much the screen changed a little bit but not too much uh you know frank seemed pleased so that's kind of all we cared about right and then kind of we all went home and waited for it to come out and when you first did you go to the premiere no, I wasn't around. I can't remember what I was doing. I was off doing something else. How'd you first see it? I first saw it because I was doing a television show in uh, New Mexico. And I went down to try to catch it before it left town at one of the... Right, because at the very beginning, it wasn't a huge hit, right? Right, the, no, nobody went to see it. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. So, I mean, considered the second best movie the last 50 years <laughs> right. or whatever now. <laughs> well, like, know. nobody, nobody went, to, went see to see it. it. And there's still some cinema snobs who don't think 
that it's that, but I, I will say I think it's as yeah, good. A, I think it's pretty. I think good. it's as good a movie as you can make. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so you go to New Mexico alone or with your wife or with friends? Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm there shooting something, and I'm, I'm I I think I go alone. I think I'm alone, and I sit down and I watch it, and I'm 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 moved by it. You can't be not moved by it. I can't watch the scenes that I'm in, of course. Is that true to this day that you can't look at yourself and have a sense no, no, of how? No, no, no. Sometimes I can. Sometimes I can't. You know, the first time I'm I'm. You know, I need to see it a couple of times. And certainly there's been plenty of opportunity to see Shawshank Redemption since it's on TV all the time. We should have our own channel. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I can watch it now. But you could know. tell when you watched it, uh, that, oh, that worked. Well, yeah, I could tell. I could, you know, I wanted uh, Mr. Whitmore to win the Oscar. I wanted I wanted, oh, uh, I wanted Morgan to win the Oscar. I wanted Tim to win. I mean, I was like, wow. Those, and it was such a, it was such a, beautiful poem you know it's just yeah it was just it was just really well put together the whole rhythm of it the cut that they made there was a train sequence and they cut the train sequence and and i remember being devastated to get the train sequence because that was another great image and they cut that and i thought oh that's gonna ruin it and it it didn't it was it was fine it was beautiful. well they cut a whole thing uh, I talked to Frank while he was cutting it, and he, he cut a whole thing where Morgan was retracing the steps of of, uh, of uh, Mr. Whitmore, oh. and and he said I had to cut a lot of that. And there was some great. Uh, so you feel it when he sits that. in the room exactly. and he looks up and he sees that his um, Mark. Yeah. You get the whole exactly. thing, and from the supermarket scene, and exactly. and which is a fascinating thing: the way these things change in the editing room suddenly the juxtapositions make stuff work right. in a way that you just can't anticipate at script. Right. And the beautiful script is is now a beautiful movie, but it's not the same beautiful script. That's such a smart point. Right. Yeah. That uh, All the time. I mean, Godfather also, you right, know, right, all right. these great movies where it's in there, it's in the script, right. but the movie resembles but isn't identical. Isn't precisely. Right. Precisely to the, to the thing. And you want to make those choices... The way Frank made the choice to cut the whole exposition with with Morgan retracing the steps of you want to cut it because oh I don't need that anymore so right cutting the train was a logistical and money thing and you you know you just like then you just God, pray that I, it's going to work that doesn't matter and of course it didn't matter oh you mean you guys cut it before you never shot it never shot I it. thought you meant he cut it no 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 oh you ne never, you mean it was in the script it. you guys could never get never to shoot shot it. it I remember talking to the um, to the production manager a uh, great guy whose name escapes me now and i was and he's um, you know he'd been doing it forever and i was saying oh my god i, I can't believe you're cutting that that's you know it, it's got to break your heart and he goes you know you you have to cut these things and you have to if you don't lose something like that then you've got to lose something else in there and i said what well, you know doesn't it doesn't doesn't it break your heart that you have to be the guy that breaks that news and he goes yeah, but you know this. It, it makes sense when it makes sense. It doesn't break my heart. When yeah, it's, and I, you know, I was so young and like, <laughs> no. oh my god, I this is I hadn't I wasn't married yet, so I didn't know that. <laughs> compromise. You didn't, compromise. You didn't understand the reasonable compromise. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but I'll say you never stop. One never stops getting. The moment you stop caring about that shit, you should have just become a business person with your life. Right, I guess. I but, think, I mean, I, I'll say... But you say, do have to be smart about it. I mean, you know, yes, you, you have, have to, to do it every episode. You have to, you know, your you, your your first drafts are just, they're epic. Yes. <laughs> but we, you have to yes. scale it back. You can't, oh, we can't have that reference to Fast Times. We can't. Yeah, know. well, we make those decisions. We go through this table read process, um, and you've been a part of it. And yeah, then you have to just be willing to say like, well, what flies and what doesn't. But the great thing about making a series like the ours is, first of all, ultimately, they just let Dave and me make those choices. So right. there's not that is good. There is yeah. not some other person weighing in. Right. They're like, here's this money to make the show. You know, here's this money. Here we're all trying to make the same show. We'll give you notes and thoughts and ideas, but ultimately, we're going to leave it to you guys. Right. Which puts uh, which is brilliant business strategy by those guys. Yeah. Because if they hire us right, and then they tell us they trust us, it makes us be so much more responsible. Right. But I feel the weight of it all the time. Do they the give time. good notes? Yeah, they're smart. They do. Okay. Oh, I think, yeah. Those. That's, that's excellent. We have no studio in the middle. Yeah. 
of the show. Yeah. It's only us and three people from Showtime. That's great. It's the best. And they see the same show we see. Yeah. So the, that part of it's great. Yeah, they, I mean, you, you've never felt uh, anything where we're sitting there cramped by anything as you're no, working no, on no, it. We no, get to of course not. do what we want to do. And I think it's part of we have such a good sort of vibe on our Oh, you have a great vibe. Set. Be- yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- because they've just allowed us to do it and because we're not profligate. We don't we don't take a kind of an advantage right, right, right. Um, of it. But That's good though. It's yeah, it's great. That's good that you know not to. Yeah, why? We have this is the Well, because some people do. Th- it's the dream job of a life. I mean, like the, cause the, the the thing is like well well the thing you, you said some people uh, get their egos get in the way. They're like, you know. Wait, you can't tell me what to do, and da 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 da. Like you, when I was thirty, that would have been the case, maybe. But I have a, an incredible appreciation for. We cast who we want to cast. We write the show we want to write. They let us shoot it the way we want to shoot it. Like I'm just gonna keep doing that thing. <laughs> and like I'll let my ego come out if I'm in a nut away from the work. Maybe like I'm not. I'm not a completely self-effacing person, but uh, I, I can't I won't get carried away. You know, you can't right. get carried away by this shit. I want to I want to talk about the other culturally. Here's the thing. I want I want to know when you've gotten carried away. Here's the thing. Um, <laughs> can't even imagine Brian Koppelman getting carried away. That's very sweet of you to say. I can. No idiots. I'm bad with idiots. Um, <laughs> you you we don't have them around the show. There's a reason Dave and I don't have like. Uh, I mean, as you've seen, now you've worked with a lot of different people on our show. We have like no assholes in our crew. Yeah, but you also have a high tolerance. I mean, you have a, like a great compassion and appreciation for a lot of different behaviors. I mean, I was, you know, you're you're very accommodating, and you get it back. Maybe that's what it is. It's yeah, like, you know, you do get it back. So yeah, you try to be. People you're... behave themselves well. Well, I love um, I love actors and I love creative people, and I also um. The one thing people outside our business don't understand is like the crew, they work so, they just work harder than all of us yeah. in a way that's, nobody really understands it. Yeah. So like you're sitting there, they're all there hours before you, they're there hours at, you know, how are you going to be, the, how are you going to be the dickhead? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, man. <laughs> but Clancy, you twice have been a part, at least twice, you can make the argument four times, have been a part of things that have a kind of cultural resonance. And mm. I've heard interviews with you where you've said that you don't love the Highlander. No. But you do know what the Highlander means to people like me. I get it. I I recently went to uh, Edinburgh. They tricked me into uh, How? At the Edinburgh Film Wait, Festival. Wait, what does that mean? They well, tricked they, you? They, they, they offered me to sit on the jury. And then they said, and I wish I had never done it. I said, well, what oh, a great I'd thing. Love, yeah. I'd love to, love to do that. And they said, oh, and by the way, we're... We're, we're screening the 4K restoration of Highlander, would you please? After you then already we, said I'll come? Already said yes. They totally tricked me. So I said, all right, I got to go. But then I made it tough on him. I sort of said, can I bring my wife? And then I said, can I bring my kids? And so I brought my kids and my wife. And of course, I, you know, God has a sense of humor. And, and, he, and I realized, oh my God, they're going to sit there and they're going to watch. My, my children are going to watch the Highlander. So I, how old were they? They weren't they weren't tiny kids though at no, the time. I my, no, I think my daughter was maybe nineteen or twenty. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, but uh, but it, they saw their dad not entirely new light, and I watched the show and I thought, well, you know, there is some artistry to the to that show. There's certain that what's really great about it is is the soundtrack. Um, Brian May's but, a genius. Brian May's a genius. Russell McKay, he's obviously like a brilliant visual stylist. Yes, though. and Russell had it up, but you know, I mean, it's it's a silly movie. Oh my god, it's ripe for remaking. I think it would be great to be remade. I think you could no sooner touch that than you could uh, oh, re- then you could remake Guernica, the painting. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I think, think you can. It is so eighties cheesy that show. <laughs> but, no, not, not to me. So yes. So you, so there's one. Now, did you audition for Kurgan? Like, how did you? No, I'm everybody's second choice there, Brian. I, what no, do you mean? They, they had offered it to, uh, they had offered it to Arnold, and Arnold turned it down because he said, "I don't want to play bad guy." You know, I, he'd just done the Terminator, and so uh, Russell was was in London with Sting, and I had just done The Bride, and Sting said, "Well, you know, there's a young actor I know. He's a big, big." Yankee and you know he might be good and so I went and I met the producers and they hired me and paid me nothing. You I, I read the script. I thought the script was great. 
love the I love the whole idea of the script. Oh, you did. So you brilliant. you sparked to the world of the. Oh, thing. totally right. I mean, what a brilliant idea that there are these people. These immortals, yeah, yeah, amazing. And Greg Wyden came up with this thing, but the, you know the producers kind of screwed him out of his script, and they were screwing me out of being paid, and you know all the rest. But of so you don't thing. audition, but you have a meeting. I have and, a meeting, and and, and process and wise, then I meet Russell and you know they pretty much hire me. So process wise, are you? Um, so you take this part of this, and at the time, it's not clear you guys are extraterrestrials. They have just, they made that up in the yeah, next, they just totally made that up two <laughs> movies later. Yeah. So, but at the, so, but you're playing this guy who's an immortal. Yeah. What's your process to become that guy? How are you thinking about it? How are you thinking about that voice? Are you involved in figuring out what that wardrobe is, how that guy walks? Like, how, what is your process as an actor um, coming into something like that? Well, that one, that one's just sort of, history it's like you know what there's references in the script about him being insane and all that nonsense which is not true right what what you have is you know with the kurgan you had a guy that was that was driving the game you know he was he was the agent of of the entire thing because you know christoph and all of his other immortal buddies were you know they were fine to hang out and have a drink in Manhattan someplace and watch some big time wrestling, you know. But there was this Kurgan character that kept showing up and forcing everybody to fight. So that's sort of that's sort of what I thought I was kind of kind of this character that had to that had to enforce this. So you approach it from the story of the whole picture, actually, right? And I thought, you know, there's, you know, there was an idea early on that maybe, um, and Jim Atchison, who's a brilliant wardrobe guy. Um, who I got in a little beef with, but he was right and I was wrong. Uh, you know, there was, but there was some thinking that maybe when we were in New York, maybe the Kurgan was a was a Wall Street uh, banker or something. That maybe there was a, but we'd already done that get up, or there was something else. So they so they made him a punk rock because that was the thing of the day. Uh, I thought that was not very, I thought that was not very original. But the tattoo was my idea for the you know let's let's have a dragon tattoo that mirrors the the uh, that beautiful helmet that I wore and, and call back to all that, uh, you know it, it was yeah there was participation. What did I do? I you know gosh it was so long ago. I I don't really know. I did a lot of sword work with uh, with um, uh, Bob Anderson, who was the sword master. And then the voice. You had to figure out the voice. Yeah, and the voice just kind of the voice just kind of came on that day. You mean uh, the first day you're working? The the, the day I worked with, uh, yeah, with yeah, that, that uh, Sean sliced yeah. it. it yes, was, uh, you know. So, and then you were like, "Well, that's like what would happen if you had, uh, you know, if you had severed cords and then they repaired themselves." Yes, and so I, you know, just made it up. And was it uh, not a fun movie to make? No, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun movie to make, but it was also the '80s, so there was a lot of fucking around. You know, there was a lot of yeah. a lot of misbehavior. Well, which in the I, 80s, I, and I've never been a misbehaving in, guy. In the eighties, folks, uh, the, <laughs> the the props department would often have various substances to help people yeah. uh, if they needed to be more energetic or if they needed to <laughs> yeah. calm down. And I guess if you weren't indulging in that sort of stuff, yeah. No, I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't an angel, but I, you know, but I wasn't. That wasn't my. You weren't for being there. You weren't a, the second they called rap shouting <laughs> props. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's. Uh, Different for you, but again, did you have the sense that it was going to be a movie that fraternity guys were going to watch, well, your college either. kids were going to watch over and over and over again? But then again, that's that didn't happen. That didn't happen until later. I mean, those, you know, Shawshank became popular because it got bought, it got bought by TBS and cable, and they showed, they showed it on cable, and then it like hit every interim medium you know, laser disc and VHS and DVD and everything. And so, every, you know, it was always being re-released on these different And what about Highlander? And Highlander came out, it didn't do anything in the United States. And then it uh, went over to Europe and it was popular. And then they came back and it was popular on VHS and then DVD and laser disc and they made a television show about it. And yeah, because I remember being in television college. Television show was good. I remember being in college and never watched that. I only... I'm a purist about You're a it. You're a purist, okay. I've watched the original movie an amount of times that would <laughs> horrify you. My respect for you has plummeted. No, as well, I understand <laughs> why. But, you know, you got to remember, I was like 19 or 20 or something, and um, 
<laughs> I think there was something about the story of staying young forever. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're that. 20 years old and you're watching that movie, yeah. and also liked uh, the fight, and you know it, yeah. it. But but I would say like um you know the movie that obviously Rounder is the movie that broke Dave and me and. It was the same thing, you know, it was only three weeks in the theaters and died and then it came back. But the difference is, uh, even when we were writing the movie, we wanted it to be a movie like those where you would watch them over and over again. And by the time we were making that, which was a few years later, we were conscious that there was this kind of a life for a movie. Mm -hmm. We were thinking of movies like Diner that we watched over and over again. Right, right, right. And we wanted guys, particularly guys back then, because we were writing for people like who, to quote it. And that's what happened with Highlander and Shawshank. Yeah, a little bit. And certainly Diner. Why? But we should see Diner more. Diner's so brilliant. All right, I have one question for all of the I'm going to listen to a podcast to help me fall asleep people. Are you struggling to get some shut-eye? I hate when I'm struggling to get shut-eye. I hate it when I can't fall asleep. Listen, if you answered yes, you're in luck. Because we have a great tip for how you can zonk out more easily. Mattress Firm. America's Neighborhood Mattress Store lets your budget stretch further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. They are more than mattress experts. They have the whole package that helps you transform your mattress into a bed, from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you covered, literally and figuratively. Go to mattressfirm.com podcast to see what deals are happening right now as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Look, I value my sleep because uh, I, I have limited time. I'm a writer, primarily, a uh, storyteller. And if I am sleepy, if I haven't gotten enough sleep, I find it really hard to stay focused and concentrate. But when I have a good night's sleep, it becomes much, much easier. Again, go to mattressfirm.com podcast to learn how your sleeping could be monumentally improved all right let's go backwards what kind of kid were you in high school like what would your peers have thought you'd end up doing like really what were you like man you're here you're here on the moment no, like, on the moment you are the moment i don't know i was not well know. here's the question were you doing theater were you doing yeah, sports yeah, like yeah. what were you doing as a well, teenager I, okay so I, I was in a small town in ohio then my pop gets elected to congress and then i move out to dc and i sort of go to school in dc and go to school in ohio oh, i thought you stayed in ohio and he would do that congressman that commute. happened for a little while and then then we all went out to dc so how old were you when you switched schools so when we when we finally stayed through the whole year i think i was a junior high and right. and but you know i was never i never really fit in anywhere i mean i was fine when i was in ohio but then all of a sudden i became you know somebody that was coming in for half a year and thinks the shit doesn't stink or something. I don't know. You know right. You know, it was a city. You kid. were like the Kurgan of your high school. Right. Basically. And then I go to, then I go to DC and I'm like the, you know, I'm the country bumpkin kid. And so I was just like, you know, I never really, really found a home. Well, either, that's often the way people who become sort of like artists are, right? They I guess. I mean, yeah, it was a little bit of an army brat kind of a thing. Were you going around? Do you, do you think? Did you have a sense even as a young kid? Did you know that you were drawn to the arts? Oh yeah, oh yeah. What were you into? Yeah, no, I I I I loved performance. I loved right I loved, right I loved then movies. I loved yeah, and I loved uh, plays. I loved Shakespeare at a very early age. And you know, how'd you get turned on to Shakespeare? Young, I had a neighbor. I didn't. I wish I did. How no, did you? I had, a, I had a neighbor whose parents were. This was in D.C. and and. Uh, it was early on when I didn't have any friends, and my next door neighbor was this young kid who was uh, the kid of like you know atomic scientists, and he was a genius. And he would go on these learning jags, like he you know would completely uh, devour everything Civil War. He would completely devour everything World War Two, and so you know. And he was younger than me, and he was too smart, and so he didn't have any friends. So he gravitates to you. So I have to be a good, you know, a good next door neighbor, and I'm so thankful that you know he doesn't know that, but I'm so thankful that you know he wants to take me on his trips. And then one of his jags was Shakespeare, and so we would, you know, do all these scenes from Shakespeare, and that one never left me. That one was I couldn't stop reading it when I was 
you know, this was like sixth, seventh grade. And you were able to understand, you were able to understand it. Did he, were you guys talking about it each other? He was able to understand it for sure. And he was able to sort of say to you, check this out. He's, you know, he sort of said, you know, this is just, this is great stuff. And so, and you know, the Folger was a brilliant addition of Shakespeare because it would have the two, it would have the two pages and one, and one page had all the definitions and all the stuff like that. And so. And you were nerdish enough to dive in. Yeah. Mostly because the. Be, just because saying the words, I mean, it's clearly this was not meant to be read. This was meant to be spoken. And so, you know, just saying the words and the and falling into the meter as a kid, it was easy to do. And, and suddenly you sound really smart and like, you know what you're talking about. And if you say something, you don't know what you're talking about. You had to puzzle through some of the constructions and, you know, it was very absorbing. And you dug it. You dug the trying dug to it, puzzle right, through because that Because there's stuff. sword fights and there's, you know... All well, sorts of great. Well, when it locks so. in for you, when a Shakespeare play locks in for you, it's an amazing feeling, right? Yeah. No, yeah. you know, anytime you solve, uh, you're reading something that's dense and weird and has a language of its own, and then right. suddenly you hear it. Right. Then you hear it, and, and yeah. it's an amazing feeling because then yeah. you're just right, kind of writing. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's yeah, you can't stop. Yeah, exactly. It's you're like just riding through you're it. Just it's an amazing it. thing yeah. when those sort of you know. Yeah. And that's true of a lot of great writers then. So you, you know, so then you fall in love with other Well, writers. then, Fa- yeah, then, right. like you're reading for people who love Faulkner, then suddenly you can yeah. handle Faulkner and you know it's worth it. Right, right. Exactly. No, you know it's worth, yeah. like, trying to trouble your way through in the beginning. Right. When it's really hard. Right. It was, you know, strangely enough, when we start, when we had to read Hemingway, it was like, I was like, this is, this is too simple. That's funny. This is too, what is, this is, this guy's brilliant? Why is this? So it took me a while to sort of appreciate appreciate the simplicity after having after having you know well sure myself and the complexity and yeah. the, the prose and poetry of Shakespeare and Shaw and those guys and all of a sudden you go back and you read of mice and men or, or grapes of wrath and you're like this is just because they're doing they're trying to come at this stuff or when I say Hemingway no but you meant Steinbeck but yeah, it's Steinbeck. the same by the way but language anyway, but, you know, language wise but um, language wise very similar, I mean even right? t- Steinbeck is more sort of flowery even than Hemingway yeah, is. Right, right. Not that but Hemingway who's like, you know, really the sun also rises. I'm like, what? He's a freaking castrated. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. And well also cuz it's so plain. Yeah. Um uh Hemingway makes the point to say that he's not he's not uh castrated cuz he has mm-hmm. his testicles. Right. I read an interview with Hemingway <laughs> recently where where George Plimpton said that to him and he was like, "No, the point is, the, he has the feelings because he has testicles, but he can't act on them. Right. So which his injury was a different injury. Is the brilliance, right? Yes. Which I don't quite get as a... as a Well, as a 12-year-old. As a, you know, as an adolescent, and I can't even conceive of, right? Because, you know, all I'm thinking about is dick. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, that <laughs> it's it's like, running your whole... No, that that's running your whole life, basically. <laughs> no, but uh, I... I um, I loved right from luckily for me the the Shakespeare was way harder. The Hemingway made total sense to me right away as yeah, a writer well, yeah. as an whatever. But did, did, that did was you, a great. Did you appreciate gig. his artistry? Did you appreciate the the, the poetry of, of of Hemingway right away? Yeah, Hemingway or hit just me. Appreciate the simplicity of the constructs and the and the clarity of the. You know, the I thought. got to all of it a different way. Um, I I read ahead always like you did. I didn't. But but where I would go, I was really um, into like dark New York stories at first. Like I loved um, Jim Carroll basketball diaries. Mm-hmm, I read mm-hmm. when I was like twelve. Oh yeah, or thirteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the language of that led me to a whole bunch of other stuff. And then maybe when I was a little bit older, Salinger. Then Salinger right from that because I was reading basketball diaries. Someone was like, "Well, what this is inspired by is this stuff." So then I started reading all the Salinger stuff, and then um, that got me to Fitzgerald, and that got me to Hemingway. And by the time I read Hemingway, yeah, it just destroyed me. It became, for me, like the... It, it was my, my favorite. Um, I want your curriculum. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you books. Murakami's the only thing I care about now, really. Do you know him, the Japanese writer? No, which... I'll what? just turn... You'll love okay. it. I'll, okay. I'll turn you on to his books. The people who listen to this podcast um, have heard me talk about him a lot. Haruki Murakami is a 70-year-old Japanese writer. He's like the world's most popular writer, um, uh, and you'll freak out from his books because the language is 
gorgeous and surreal, but it's really about this and uh, your heart. But, so Clancy, you're you're into this stuff. You start performing then? Yeah, they, you know, just doing plays. There was a, when I went to a, a very small boys' school in D.C. and they had a they had a a pretty serious theater uh, program. Only in that they took it seriously, that it was a major part. You know, it's just like young men, the sons of the leaders of the country have to be have to have a good liberal arts basis back in the day. They don't think that now, of course, but. Um, uh, you know, you, and we had to do everything. We had to play sports. We had to do arts, and we had to, you know. So yeah, so I, I did plays, and they had an ambitious guy, and we did stuff like, um, you know, we did uh, uh, Ben Johnson, we did Shakespeare, we did Chekhov, we did Williams, we, did, you know, we just did. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, we did a whole bunch of stuff. Bookner, yeah. you know, we did like a whole bunch of crazy stuff, and. And, and did you was, start getting leads in those shows? Yeah, you know, I was a, you know, I was a football player, so I would get leads. Oh, is that true? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I guess it wasn't because I was a football player, but you know, but I, but but I liked it. I enjoyed it. I you know made time for. And it. did you did you get a sense? Oh, I'm pretty good at this. Did people tell no, you? No, no. I mean, I just I, I, I just really liked it. I mean, I I couldn't imagine not doing it. I mean, consciously, relative. Do you have the conscious thought? You think oh, at a seventeen-year-old, like, no, I'm going to do the, this. Thing? That conscious thought happened after I graduated college, but you know, I always knew that I was going to be, you know, I was going to do theater. I was going to do, I was going to be involved somehow because I just enjoyed it too much, and all my friends were that, and they're, you know, like you said, they're all, we're all outcasts anyway. We don't really survive, but there is that kind of troopy ensemble thing the circus man was yeah. right it was a it was a circus but it wasn't atmosphere. just wanting to be in the circus it was actually doing the work itself yeah it turned you on in some way yeah sure it you did. felt very alive when but you I were felt doing very, it very comfortable you know taking those chances right would you play in football what position i was a lineman and i was a defensive end and did you go play at northwestern football no 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 my coach was very smart he said you know if you're gonna go play college ball that's what you're doing you're not going to school where you're playing college ball. That's so you job. made a decision, I'm not like, doing it. I'm, no, I'm going to college to learn stuff. Because you're big enough. I mean, you were big enough then from when we big were in college then, that yeah. you could have played for Northwestern. Yeah, but I don't think I would have had a good time doing it. Right. And did you go and major in theater? Not initially, no. I was. Um, I threw I, I threw the weights for track, and I got a scholarship to do that. And, um, and then I just tried out for some plays. My teacher in high school knew a professor there and I talked to him a little bit and I took his class and he ended up being quite a mentor to me and so um so you know then I would audition for plays and stuff and did you and, love sports too though because like I played every I played two varsity sports I wasn't a good athlete like you I just was a varsity I was no, good enough to play I, varsity but I wasn't like a really I loved sports until I got to college and then you stopped caring and then it was then it there was too much at stake you know you mean other people cared too much yeah yeah, I think, you know, at Northwestern, not that much was at stake. You know, they, they, they seemed to have a good attitude about it in those days, but which meant that they had losing teams, period. Well, they had the longest losing right, streak. Right, and I was at school during that streak. and But it was all sort of... Was Michael Wilbon there when you were there? Probably, yeah. You know who I brought... think he was a little bit after me, but... Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Denny, Denny Green came in, I think, my senior year, and... Sort of started whipping everybody. Well, that shit. guy's that guy yeah. was a great coach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, famously great coach. Some yeah, famous and quotes actually, that everybody actually broke the streak. That guy. <laughs> yeah, no, amazing. Ashley won. Actually, won. and Illinois. you were there. And you know, as you know, um, like a lifelong friend of mine was one of your pals at yeah. uh, at Northwestern. Yeah. And uh, so I know you got there. You, there was sort of a tight crew of people. Yeah, we all fell there. in with each other because I think that's where you make your friendships anyway in college a lot of times and then were you acting did you join a troupe of some sort no, at that time no no i was just i just graduated and then um you know was auditioning around chicago which was very vibrant at the time it was very well you had mammon and you had steppenwolf and yeah and wisdom bridge and you know i mean there was a, was greg mosher he was a director yeah of, at, was mosher there yet he might have been there was at, he might have been at Goodman at that point? That it makes was sense. Before Falls took over Goodman, so so, so you knew you were gonna. Big, but there you, was a, how did your parents, who were your new dad, who was a conservative politician, as you said, uh, how did they take it when you were like, "Hey, I'm gonna go be an actor"? My dad didn't care. He was fine. He was like, "Yeah, you know, get it out of your system." You know, really. And my mom was a little. What did you think you were gonna do for money? 
I was going to bartend, of course. What else? What else do I right. just do? Right. I decided I decided to give it a shot for a little while, and you know, then like I said, I had that. I had one sort of revelation where I, I thought to myself after auditioning around and getting a job or not getting a job or wanting the job and wondering how I would react if I didn't get it, and I just realized, you know. If I go to law school, if I go to business school, if I go do anything, if I go back and run the newspaper or go to Congress or whatever, it doesn't matter because I'm always going to be doing theater. I'm always going to do it. I'm always going to act. I'm always going to find a place to do this. So, you know, I don't really care if I make a living at it or if I have to do it at the community level. I'm just, I just love it. So I'm going to be doing so it. So you had that tangible conscious thought as a 23-year-old? Yeah, 22, 23. That's, in a, a, that's a very sort of... Um, yeah grown-up thought and and for you it wasn't a a, a a form of giving up it was a, actually a form of um releasing it, yourself to fail in a way it was a surrender it was a surrender to whatever the fates had in store for me and you know and the realization that you know that was a part of me no matter what and that as long as that that beast was fed it didn't really matter if i was making money at it or not it didn't really matter if i was doing it with with uh you know the PTA in a small town in Ohio. I don't care as long as, as the long doing as we it. get to look at the as long as we got to read the Shakespeare and perform it or whatever we did. That would be that's that's valid, even yeah. more so in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, you're only doing it's pure, right? I mean, that version of it is right. incredibly pure, right? You're not taking a job because you want your kid to finish the eighth grade at some school, right? 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 No, right. I mean we, exactly. You know, I talk about the screenwriting jobs that I took over the years when I'm sure there were jobs that David and I said yes to sure. because, well, you rationalize it different ways. One is uh, when I want to go make an indie movie for two years, a year and a half, I don't watch my children have to suffer the the fact that I'm going to earn no money for a year right. and a half, so right. I'm going to take the job and I want to... But it's um, hard to feel like an artist when you're doing those things or like you're doing yeah. your best work. Sometimes. That's when you're a professional. You know, you want to act like an amateur all the time. You know, I always want to feel like an amateur, like I'm doing it because I love it. It's, it's easier when the stuff is good and you're actually getting paid a little bit. But, you know, there's also stuff that I've taken because I'm a pro and I have to take it because, because I have to do it. And I, you approach it like a pro. You learn your lines. You go in. You, you're not late. You do your shit. You go home. And you forget about it the next day, and you, you know what I and, mean. And does it? Yeah, it's like doing it's like doing a voiceover for a commercial. You know? Sure, that's, that's like pro jobs. And you've made peace with it. Oh yeah, you got to make peace with those pro jobs. I'm saying you have made peace yeah, with it actually. Yeah, yeah. but you, you, you I, I, I crave the the amateur jobs. You know, yeah, you do. Where I can be like an amateur. Where like you can... this one. This is a very good sort of you know this is a chunky amateur kind of job. I don't mean to say that. No, no, no. You're not stuff, but it, you know, amateur in the in the sense of the word, where it's done for love. Yeah, like right? the old U.S. Open when the amateurs would play, who played the game for right. love, and they were and they were awesome. incredibly great yeah. at tennis. And um, <laughs> exactly. then no, you're you're talking about uh, doing the thing for the for the pure spirit right. of it. And yes, the best things, and that's really what what I was trying to say say also about making our show. That's why I could never be an asshole in that context because they're like actually giving us all the money to hire these great actors to all actually be in this endeavor because we're getting, we're pulling it, like we're, we're pulling a heist. Like we're getting to make this, they're letting, no, they're letting us make this show yeah. where, yeah. you know, you're wearing those boots in that scene right. and like we're, we're right. making these nice points. because also people don't have to make the choice between, you know, because you're paying people. That's right. You, you don't have those people that you might want that would want to do it for nothing. That's right. That, but can't because they have to make a living. Totally. We'll, we'll come in and do it for maybe not. Yeah, their, not the not your high. No, no, that's price, right. Not the high end of your they'll price. They'll come in but and it, they'll say, I, you know, this yeah, will, this will pay my rent for the thing, next and I get and, to really feel like I'm doing a yeah. thing I like to do, like yeah. remembering why I chose to yeah. do this for my yeah. my life. There's that. No, I mean, and it's great. You know, part of uh, I mean, part of the thing you bring when you show up is you know, Giamatti was so excited about getting to play these <laughs> scenes with you because you guys obviously <laughs> knew each other at the beginning of your career. <laughs> it's. So hilarious to look back on that, and then now to see yeah, everybody I, yeah, here and realize, wow! So when you got you, was the first job Bad Boys? Is that the first thing you got? Uh, yeah, it was the first film. Yeah, how'd you get the job? There was uh, it was coming through town. 
and um, and you were where then? L.A. or Chicago? You're in Chicago. I was coming through town. Everybody was auditioning for it, and uh, and it came through, and I auditioned, and they hired somebody else. They hired a kid. I didn't know that. And uh, and he's a good-looking kid, and uh, then he called up and bowed out because he was uh, he was a. Uh, uh, I don't know, fundamentalist Christian or something, and he didn't like the idea that um, he would be raping somebody or even witnessing a rape or, you know, didn't like the content of the movie, basically. And so then I get a call from a friend of mine who had just moved out here, and he said, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago shooting because I'm auditioning for this um, auditioning for this show called Bad Boys in this part. And I said, Really? I thought they'd already cast that. Well, apparently not, man. I said, well, you can crash here, but you got to know that I'm going to find out what's going on. You told him. You said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you said, I'm going to yeah, try out. Said, I'm going to find out what's going on and see if, you know, if I can get back in. He goes, yeah, well, good luck. I think I've got it wrapped up. Oh, Which no. They, he probably did. He also would have been great in it, you know, because he was. Did he become a working actor? Yeah, yeah he's, he was still a working actor. But and then they came back and I think they hired me because I was local. You know, and they didn't have to put me up and all that stuff. Were you nervous the first? Oh like, yeah, showing up. Sure, sure. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. Yeah, it's I your because you weren't a film actor. You were no, a, I, a theater actor. I had no, no clue what I was up to. And and it's you playing a guy interacting with Sean Penn and Asai Morales, who had both yeah. been sort of were like and young Sean was stars. Great. Sean knew how to you know Sean Sean grew up in it, so he you know he knows how to manipulate the process in order to get um in order to get performance you know he's what do you mean go further on that well you know um we did it the other day a little bit paul and i where um uh, you know the camera's behind me so i can say whatever the hell i want to him in order to get the reaction yes that may be wanted and some people can do deal with that. i know paul can deal with it and a lot most people can and some people get a little get a little frustrated by it so sean was doing that a lot helping you guys actually yeah. which is kind of, it's kind of disrespectful of the kind of the mechanics of of making a film and so that's where people get bent out of shape about it but it's absolutely the right thing to do in terms of the mechanics for the art of the film right there's a balance well there's right. totally a balance right you know i know the story about some actor who like forgot to tell everyone that he was going to in doing that break a mirror that was a live mirror, a practical mirror, right. and the cameraman was there and didn't have time to gear up. So the shards of glass came at the, you know, and that's you when you go, do that. that's when you go, listen, right. buddy, we're professionals now. Yeah, right. Like, yes, be that. an amateur, but right. we're, that guy has to go home to his kids yes. and he's probably, you know, can't work if his eye gets cut out. Yeah, I had no. a moment like that on, on actually Highlander. You did? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. I was supposed to jump down and and from a great height and swing my mighty sword and and crack through a table yeah. that uh, uh, Connery was sitting at and and the table was supposed to implode and you know, dust was going to go over there and so I jumped from my mighty height and swung my mighty sword and came down and the table didn't do anything no. so I just kind of swept everything off the table with the sword. Which was also the wrong thing to do, but I thought, you know, what the fuck, I gotta do something. Then no one called cut, right? No one called cut, and I said, I gotta do something here. But unfortunately, I, I swept it into the camera. <laughs> I swept it into the, where everybody was sitting. I was like, oh shit. And so yeah, I was, they, they hated me at that point. They thought, oh, that's where I got the reputation of some kind of a crazy Yankee method guy. And I was like, no, that wasn't me being a method. It was me trying to save the take, but. Yeah. yeah, because you got to keep the thing. I remember working with Dennis Hopper, young, and yeah. and uh, we had a young actor in a scene who messed up a line and called cut. And Hopper said to him in between, "Don't do that, man. Never call cut, man. That's you know, it. keep going. You're gonna find something if you keep going. Yeah, you're gonna find something so real and different. And he, you know, right. it was great. I was directing it, and I, I was 31 or something, and Dave and I were directing the thing, and so young that I at the business that I wasn't really even aware of it. And as soon as he started talking, I realized, of course, that the lie, you know, the opportunities to have real behavior show up. Yeah, right. Are so great and rare and special that you want to, whatever you can do to foster yeah, yeah. the real and behavior. you have that freedom. I mean, it's one of the great blessings of this new digital age we're in. It you really know, is. It's a, it was, you had to be disciplined when you had, you know, a certain amount of footage in the magazine, but you also couldn't waste footage. Right, since I, you know, tried to save the take somehow by sweeping the table, 
wrong thing to do, but you know, for the right reasons, you know, they'd have to reset anyway. But so but digitally, you, think, you don't have to do that now. Digitally, but, you can jump yes. and take as many. And so, as you're as on you that want. show, Bad Boys, the first one, and you're watching Sean do this stuff. Oh yeah, is part of you learning? Like, what, do you have a process? Like, I journal. Do you journal? Do you do anything to sort of? codify the shit that you learn or do you just kind of take it as you go well i don't codify it i you know i sort i sort of take it as i go um you know there was a time that i was that i was journaling and i would work much harder but you know like you get older and it's all it's it's about synthesis right you you, yes you, you know you need to you need to do a lot of research i think when you're younger and you need to you need to try to uh manufacture experience and you need to to get points of view and stuff and so there was a lot of that going on a lot of reading a lot of experiential stuff a lot of you know experimentation with this and that and the other um and a lot of you know emotional journeys and stuff and then you have kids (laughs) and you got to be a pro and 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 suddenly it's kind of liberating because you have so much already built up that you you know you have things you can call on and they're not necessarily tricks nothing nothing wrong with some tricks but they're but you know you you There's recognize more in the well to br- there is more in the well to There's bring more up in the well and there just is yeah and you can bring because it up. all the tricks I, like not the tricks but um the research and doing all that is great really useful but it's all only to serve right feeling confident enough to be present and alive from the moment you hear action till the moment you hear cut and so whatever as you get as you get older uh, there are other ways by which you you gain the freedom yeah to 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 be alive it's why gilgood can deliver a, a a shakespeare monologue on the johnny carson show and you know put make everybody uh a puddle around him, you know, yeah. bring tears to everybody's eyes. Not because he's, because he's so freaking old and he has all that well that he can bring up. I mean, that was, yeah, that you can just reach down and you can to reach it. down and get it. And you, yeah. You know, that's and why old, that's why I've always said that, you know, the best actors are women over a certain age because they can, they can just do anything. They have it in them. Well, it, it, and it is fascinating. The different modalities that people bring to, to bear, like, um, there are some people who can talk and bullshit around, yeah, right up until go to literally the moment <laughs> they could be telling you a story about a horse fucking a pig, right up until the moment they have to play the death scene. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who need to go walk around and be quiet and be in right. a corner to do it. And, and sometimes it's the same person. It could be depending on what day it is, right? Yeah, it could be. And then part of what everyone else has to figure out is. <laughs> <laughs> no, is a how, and then can you? How did SpongeBob happen? Because you're how many voices do you play on SpongeBob? Whatever they want me to do, but mainly I just do one. You know, Tom is the Tom is the go-to utility voice guy there. He's but you're Mr. Crab. Yeah, I do Mr. Krabs. And uh, that was just an audition that you know I had decided that my daughter was born. I had decided I wanted to be around because everything was shooting in Canada or New Orleans or Chicago. Nothing was shooting in LA. I said, I want to be around for my daughter, and I'm going to pursue this voice stuff. And so I did, and I auditioned for that. And, you know, no, nobody knew it was going to go on as long as it did. Yeah, yeah. did you know it was funny? Uh, I thought or did you know, was, could you tell it was different? I knew it was different. knew it was strange and different. Um, uh, the, the creator, Steve Hillenberg, had a really tight uh, idea about it. And at that time, Nickelodeon was its own thing. And they want to create more content. They were being, they were, they were buying content from Klasky Shupo, and they wanted to create their own content. They had had some success that way, and so they gave a lot of these guys their head, and they gave Steve his head, and they let let it go, and then it gets bought. I mean, that show's kind of a miracle because it's one of the shows you could watch. Yes, clear miracle for you, clearly. Total miracle. (laughs) No, but it's a miracle because. It was a show you could like. Um, so my kids are twenty two and seventeen. So, yeah. right, that was actually a show I didn't mind watching with them. Yeah. I didn't listen to kids' music ever. My kids never were raised on kids' music. They were raised on Lou Reed, Bob Dylan, from when they were two years old. Stevie, that, that's yeah. James Brown, yes. Yeah. They were just raised on all that music, Metallica and the Counting Crows and all that. Shit. They were just raised on whatever I wanted to listen to. 
because you know I'm sort of music freak. But kids programming, you there's just no way around watching kids programming, and right. that show is so funny. Yeah, it had it and had strange in the Harold Bloom sense of strange, right. like strange and different. Because it was all a bunch of bunch of animators running it. I mean, that's the other thing of that show. That show's not written as a script; it's written as a storyboard. So you have the animators telling the jokes across the storyboard first. And you know you don't sit down and write the script first. Oh, I, that I may have that. changed now. That may be a new thing that they've done this year. But because we're now we're getting, now we're getting the scripts. But for the first forever years, it, it was all written by the animators. And, and they would then write a script on top of it, or you guys yeah, would improvise. Yeah, they, they, they knew what they wanted to do, but they but they wrote it from they wrote it visually first. And is it so, fun doing it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, getting especially a, a really great script is really fun. Right, and they give us they give us a little flexibility so we. Do can kids make... freak out when they hear your voice? So they don't believe it. Oh really? Yeah 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 yeah. You yeah, mean like if a parent's like that guy? Yeah, is... that guy. That's Mr. Krabs, and I'll do the voice, and he goes, "Yeah, he sounds a little like him." But they don't but think they, yeah, really. Of course, they don't, you know, of course. that's perfect. Right, I have a couple of questions from friends, and then we can we can get out of here. Um, my friend Glenn Kenny, who's a great film writer. Re- wanted to know what it was like for you to work with Walter Hill and John Milius on the same, oh. on the same movie. Like, was Milius crazy Mi- by no, then? No, Milius. I think Milius wrote it, and I actually had a crazy dinner with Milius later. You did yeah. after yeah. the movie. Yeah. You mean after the movie? The documentary was, about him is worth watching. Oh, he's folks. He's, he's legendary, legendary uh, screenwriter. But Hill was a huge. I was a huge fan of his. Me too. Was, yeah, I mean, hard time for me. Yeah. Hard times, getaway, but hard times is like there's hard nothing times, better than hard getaway, times. Getaway, long ride. I mean, the, yeah. the forty-eight hours. Uh, yeah. Warriors was Fort Apache right? too, right? Fort, but yeah. yeah, I mean, just. But for me, uh, hard times. Yeah. So the first time I get to, as soon as I get to Hollywood, he's going to do the one he did with the foe. Um, that weird one. Um, I don't, I don't remember, but I will. I'll look it up yeah, while we're talking. Up, I just uh, don't remember at the uh, moment. He was going to do that, and I went into audition for him, and I, I was so nervous, I just fell all over myself. No, really? Yeah, I broke shit in his office accidentally. I mean, I was just complete clutch. Needless to say, I didn't get that job. Then uh, he did. Then he was going to do this. Um, he was going to do uh, Extreme Prejudice, which, at, was which is the one you did. Duel in the Sun and Wild Bunch Hybrid. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, and did you go out? So you auditioned I again. Went, I went and met him for that, and he didn't. Luckily, he didn't remember what a doofus I was. I never saw this movie. I don't feel bad now that I don't know. I never saw Crossroads. No, it wasn't Crossroads. Because I never. Oh, was that the guitar movie? Yeah, that's the guitar movie. Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire. Right, sure. Streets yes. of Fire. Oh yeah, I know that yeah. movie. So uh, that's the one I just completely. So you 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 wrecked his office, and he was there in the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, and you he did terribly. There. Yeah. So how'd you get yourself back in? An agent was just like, "Oh, I see this like kid again." Agent. Yes, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think he made the connection that the that big idiot was. His, <laughs> that guy. So, and yeah. then you got your shit together. How, yeah. So how'd you get yourself? You were just two years later, or three years yeah, later. You were a calmer person. I'd been, yeah, I was just not new to Hollywood anymore. I'd done a couple of movies, and you know, it was fine. And how was he directing? It was great. He's like, oh, a, he's like, really? a, yeah, he's like the kind of guy that if he was a, if it was the forties, he would be, uh, you know, a naval commander, and and you would go and do whatever he said. Right, like those five would. guys. Like, yeah. well, you know that Mark Harris documentary and whatever the five directors. Right, right. Those five guys who all went and did it. Right. Th- that yeah. kind of yeah. person. Yeah, he was a he was a he was a field commander, and he had the guys around him that he that he used, and you know, you all went out there and thought you were. So you had a great time. Yeah, yeah, it was like the he's like the modern John Ford, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's exactly right. right. No, and he homages that. You know, the opening shot of Hard Times is basically the opening shot of, of Liberty Valance. Yeah, right. It's this train. Yeah. It's this train that's just coming, and and the smoke and the way it, it's it's really an echo of, of Liberty Valance. Both movies. Are, those are two of my favorite <laughs> movies ever made. <laughs> Even Costner. Costner also loves Liberty Valance. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, I can't get enough of that movie. Oh, do you not love it? So good. Yeah, seen, I do. I, mean, I love it. I just so in that movie. I mean, Lee Marvin and Jimmy Stewart and, Jimmy and John Stewart Wayne. And John Wayne. Yeah. It's and and you know that script and that mm-hmm. the way that story's told to me, I was mind blown as a kid to watch Liberty Valance and. Uh, you can't watch it enough, actually. I've watched over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, there's always it. It works on so many levels. That yeah, we referenced like, it in the show last season, no and dude. we were so happy to. Yeah, Paul says we were so happy to have him get to say it. His character watched 
a lot of westerns and talks about them and obviously Dave and I care about those movies a lot and then you know you get to a certain point in your career there are certain things you want to check off and um you got to check the Coen brothers off the list so oh gosh yeah then they're here personal heroes times. what's that I auditioned for them a bit there were another one that I auditioned early on for what movies uh right raising, raising Arizona raising of course Arizona, you did which was another and you were beat out by a boxer beautiful script oh, amazing oh movie. my god what a movie that it's is gorgeous script and I and immediately took to it because there was a rhythm to it there was a poetry to it and they and their best scripts have this have this kind of have this kind of I don't know what it is it's a it's a it's just poetry it's like a song well it's a language of its own it's kind of you know what it is it's that their scripts make internal sense right and it's not what ends up on the screen which of course I didn't realize at the time but but now I do it's not really what ends up on the screen but it's it's close I think so. it's really close with the Coen brothers. So how did you get, you go and audition I, for that I part or was, do they just yeah, call I you? Think I, I think I was saying, you know, I, I should be, I should be what uh, Nicky's, Nick, you know, I should be Nick, what, what, what's his name? Nick, uh, Nick Nolte? Nick, no, no, Nick, the, the lead guy. Um, you know, the guy, my, see, I'm old now. I can't remember his name. Movie star. Nick. From what movie? From, from Raising Oh, Nicholas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Oh, no, Nicolas I thought you were talking about... In, I, should, um, uh, I, should be the, I should be the Nicholas Cage part. You know, and they're like, who the fuck are you, kid? <laughs> you know, we're reading you. Get out of here. So so then I would go and... They don't, nobody ever remembers, necessarily. Yeah, well, they don't hold it against you. Right, and they don't hold it against you. Wait, you tried to make that argument in the room and they were reading you for the text cob part? Yeah, they had already... They had already no, I didn't want the text cob part. <laughs> and I think I was supposed to audition for like Forsyth's part or, or yeah, John Goodman's sure. part. Sure, yeah, you know, the they're, brothers. They're Great parts, yeah. amazing. They're perfect. Yeah. But uh, so I talked myself out of that one. And then every, almost every script that they've come up with, I, I, I can't wait to read. And I go in and I audition for them. And finally, they come up with, uh, with uh, uh, Hail Caesar. And they basically call me in and say, can you do this voice? That was the, the actor that played the, the, uh, the gladiator instructor in Spartacus. Can you do that voice? I said, yeah, sure, I can do that voice. I said, okay, you're going <laughs> to... And you see, you did it in front of him. Did in front of him. And was it a blast? I mean, it's an incredible scene with you and Clooney. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. Yeah, they're great fun. And then was it fun working with Clooney? Yeah, yeah. Clooney doesn't shut up. (laughs) You know him. (laughs) I I love him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just, he's just a. He wants everybody to have a great time. Yeah, he's just a raconteur. And well, you've had some career. All right, I. I, You were very good at um, uh, turning it back to me. Congratulations. But. We're at our hour mark, so we're going to stop. But, yeah. I, dude, I, I got to say, um, the story is, um, I guess you auditioned for Rounders, and because c- the other side of it, when you say people don't remember, the truth is you auditioned for Rounders. Dave and I saw it, but we weren't the decision makers. John was. Right. Right? We wrote it. He directed it. Right. And they, everyone had to deal with Turturro. Turturro was going to get that part. Everyone, We were thrilled, right. obviously, to get John Turturro to right. play the part. Right. But Levine and I had remembered what you did and I knew you from you the that. other movies. Yeah. Well, yeah, and in Toronto, we told you that yeah, we yeah, met right. you at the Sutton Place. Yeah. They do, you do remember, like when someone comes I in and lays I love one. That part. I thought that I, that part, I, I can't. remember. You would have killed it, Joey Kanish, which was the part that Totoro played so in the movie. Good. Such a. And your audition was great, and we remember it. You oh, you read the thing where he's warning Matt's character not to play in this game. I remember your yeah. audition to this day. I remember what you were wearing actually, <laughs> and I, I have a weird memory, but also you really laid it down, and like from that moment. When everyone said Turturro was playing it, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and be like, well, no, you got to go with that kid. We were like, yeah, yeah, yeah it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be great. Yeah. He's the right age difference from yeah, Matt, yeah. right? John's yeah. ten, he's eight years older than you or something, yeah, Turturro. Right. But we remembered it and we were like, okay, Clancy can't, isn't just the guy from the Highland. Like he could do this <laughs> and, um, and, you know, tried to get you to do that other thing. And I've offered you stuff over the years that I'm sure didn't, like I realized when I wrote you that must have it not gotten to you because you know people are like well you guys can't afford it on this movie or whatever but then this time i wrote you a letter when we offered you this part yeah, yeah which you got thing, yeah. and um and then you wrote back like yeah i remember the sutton place too yeah yeah and so i'm so happy that you're a part of billions man it really made yeah, dave I'm, and me I'm so thrilled too i mean I just, you, you guys can write you guys are you well, guys really you write the shit out of this stuff i love that so, you know that's the thing that's important is like when you got a script and characters and things that work together that have you know even if it's even if you're making it up as you go along there's a there's a there's a roadmap there and there's a again there's a poetry and there's a resonance well, to it there's a rhythm and it's really great well thank you and thanks for doing you it you got a great cast too my yeah. god 
every actor on the show. No, that's like, uh, there's nothing you can't throw those guys. You well, that's make, what we you, feel. You make them jump through so many hoops. I mean, it's really incredible to watch that show. Everybody should watch Billions just well, to see. Yes, what these actors do. Tour de forces that these actors. Well, and now uh, Clancy Brown is in a, a very meaningful role this season uh, as uh, Jock Jeffcoat, the Attorney General of these United States. Clancy, thanks for doing this. All right. I'll see it. you. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see you on set tomorrow. I think. Oh my God! Five thirty in the morning. You, for you, five thirty. I'll be there around eight. I'll roll in around eight. I'll be done by then. All right, everybody. <laughs> thanks for uh, listening. You can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. Uh, if you want to email me, themomentbk at gmail.com to tell me I didn't ask Clancy about your favorite movie he was in. Are you on social media? No. Right. Of course not. The Kurgan's not on social. Why would the Kurgan be on social media? All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.